Hello everybody and welcome to Harbor Speaks. Homelessness is a big problem in the city of Los Angeles. Today we're going to talk with Gabriela Medina, the district director for Councilman Joe Busciano, and she will be telling us what they're doing in the 15th district to address the problem of homelessness. I'm Mike Carrera. For 40 years I worked in the nonprofit field. During this time I've noticed there are hundreds of nonprofits, organizations, and individuals providing programs and activities that are making a positive difference in their community. My mission is twofold, to inform the community of these programs and individuals and to recruit support for these organizations and individuals. In a minute, we'll be talking with Gabriela Medina, District Director for LA City Councilman, Joe Busciano. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I am here with Gabby Medina. She said I can just call her Gabby. She is going to know, tell us about the homeless problem here in L.A. and what the L.A. City Councilman Joe Busciano is doing for this area. Hey, Gabby, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Thank you for being here today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Of course. Tell me, uh, what do you think are some of the main causes of homelessness in this area? Well, we get right into it. Um, well, first and foremost, thank you for allowing us to have the conversation. I think, as you mentioned in your introduction, it's definitely the biggest issue facing the city of Los Angeles and really a lot of the major cities around the nation. I think that there's so many layers that homelessness is affected by, right? Whether it's the economy, whether it's the drug activity, there's gang activity, but obviously most importantly is poverty and it's the access to affordable housing. And I think that once you start to really depict the issue and start to dig into it, you realize that it's not just one box fits all. There's just so many layers and so many issues. And a lot of it, it's also the, the issues facing that individual. You know, are there mental health issues? Are there addiction issues? Are there family issues? Is there trauma? And if they were not facing that before they became homeless, what trauma was picked up from the streets? And so it varies, and I think that that's why the issue is so hard to solve, because there is no one right answer. So there's not just one thing to solve this. Mm-hmm. You've got to deal with many different things. Mm-hmm. Of course. So what are some of the things that uh, the council office is doing to so, address this? Um, so Councilmember Joe Buscaino is now, this is his ninth year as council member, was elected in 2012. And so in his two terms, and during term one, actually back in 2013, when we only had one outreach team of LASA workers uh, for the entire, I would say, southern area of the city. So that means that we had two people for, and we shared it amongst other council members. He hired two teams to come on into our district and just give us the face of our homelessness. So tell us who these people were, where they were from, what got them to the streets, what issues they were facing. And we literally kept a Google Doc, like an Excel sheet, and a profile, basic profile of all of these individuals. And we were able to identify hundreds of individuals as we as the issue progressed in 2016 the city council established a homelessness and poverty subcommittee to start talking about it on a more serious level and to really identify ways that they could tackle the issue head-on and that is how measure HHH was born which is the bond that allows us to build uh, close to 10,000 
permanent supportive housing units, right? And then the county decided to uh, mirror that and give us social services because it's one thing to build a unit and it's another thing to make sure that the person stays in that unit and they stay with a caseworker, with mental health support, clinicians, whatever is needed. And so everyone supports solutions. The biggest issue is who wants them in their community or who will take them in their community, who will welcome them in the community. And that's where I think Councilmember Joe Buscaino has been leading is saying that we don't have time to decide whether or not people are comfortable with with having neighbors that were previously homeless. This needs to just be an action that we take because if we allow the interpretation to to take place, then the conversation can go for 10 years and community members will still say no to housing. Well, we've said yes. We've said yes to all types of housing. And we have hundreds, if not thousands of residents in CD15 who support this. So we have permanent supportive housing, We have, which is the ultimate goal. We have low income housing. We have market rate housing. We also have congregate shelters. We have a tiny home village. We have a navigation center. Project Room Key, Project Home Key. We have the solutions that we need to get people off the streets immediately, as well as a long-term plan for their housing. Well, so there's a ton of things that you guys are doing. Yeah. But can you tell me about some of the success stories you've had? Yeah. I mean, just today, I was literally, um, he just called me while I'm on this call. It's a woman, uh, we'll just call her uh, Coco. She's from South LA. She's probably one of, more, one of our most ha- uh, hard-to-house individuals. She has been on the streets for over 20 years within the Watts community. And I mean, that's hard to believe, right? 20 years, two decades. So you can only imagine how difficult it's been. We've put her through the hotel program. We've put her through rapid rehousing. We've put her through shared housing. we put her in Project Home Key. And every program she fell out of. Is it because there wasn't a caseworker? No, there was caseworkers there. There was support system in place. But, you know, there's a lot more going on in her head uh, that we cannot quite tap into quite yet. And so we have to keep going and going and going. And just this morning, after speaking with her yesterday, she said, fine. I'll give it another shot. So that in itself is a success because when people say yes to services, it makes us happy because that's the reason why we put them out there. There's another resident from our ABH in Watts. She was living out of her car for a couple of months. One of the outreach workers found her. She came into the ABH. She was there no more than six months. She was able to get access to her SSI, to her retirement. She's worked her whole life, a nurse, and now she's employed. And so those are the time and she no longer lives at the shelter she's now living on her own all she needed was just a hand up right and i think that that's what we forget is that each case is individual some will be very hard like corinne the other ones like this nurse will be a lot easier and all they need is just a second opportunity at life uh, we've had many successes here at the wilmington site in our abh from people getting employed people being reunited with their families people just starting to get their lives back together The pandemic has definitely put a strain on all of our homeless services, but it put a strain on everyone's life to begin with, right? Whether you were housed or unhoused. So we can only imagine uh, the difficulties it placed on the communities that were already unsheltered. But as we're coming out of COVID, as we're getting access to vaccines, and we're getting people fully vaccinated at our shelters, we should see a significant turnaround in how we're able to help people out of that condition and into a more suitable, safe environment for them to, to be able to live their lives. That is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a lot it is. of stuff that you guys are doing. Tell me about yourself. I know you started off working at the YWCA. That's Correct. when I first heard of you. How did you get going over there? How did you- 
Um, I was at the Y straight out of school. It was the one job that I wanted because it allowed me to work with teens. And I worked with my Y girls, of which probably still in touch with all of them. I was the director of teen programs and our goal was to prevent teen pregnancies in the community. At that time, I met then Senior Lead Officer Joe Buscaino, who was running for city council five years later, actually. So in my knowing him, the five years that we worked together in the community, him as a cop and me working with teens, he had a teen program, the Teen CPAP, which I'm sure you're familiar of, which he established at Harper Division. And so I would bring my young women and then he would bring his group and we'd do leadership conferences. We'd expose them to other parts of the city, engage them and just different activities to get their self-esteem going, get them involved and get them ready for the world. Now some of these teens, you know, have master's degrees. They're police officers themselves. One of them owns Black Knight Patrol in San Pedro. I mean, our kids have become very successful, and I think it's because of the network of love and support that they received. And so when Joe decided to run for office, I quit my job, joined his campaign, and here we are, 10 wow. years later. And and so, I, I've <laughs> always been a fan of the YWCA. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was a youngster, my parents got divorced, so we didn't have too much. And I, and I lived around that area. Yeah. I think for, for Christmas, a couple of years, that's that's the only Adopt place the we family. got toys for that time. Yeah, so it was, we, they still do good. it. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a pretty amazing program mm-hmm. that's been coming out of there for a long, long time. Absolutely. I mean, the Y has been in, in the community for over 100 years. It's one of those things where it's just when you have services and programs and communities like the ones in our district, you know, from San Pedro all the way to Watts, it allows a, a support level for families who need it, like yours. And it, uh, it helps them um, stay out of falling into homelessness, you know, but we just have to make sure that we have the proper um, systems in place to make sure that we catch them before they do. Because once they're on the streets, it can be a lot more difficult to get them out of it. Your office is doing what they can. I know I can mm-hmm. see all these things, but yeah. what other support do you get from nonprofits in the area mm-hmm. or, or other organizations? I would say this, no one can do it alone. You know, organizations like Harbor Interfaith, from Hopix to, you know, U.S. Vets to Volunteers of America, they've been doing this for decades. Uh, Salvation Army, I mean, they are extremely good at what they do. And for many years, they were, in a, in a sense, doing things on their own. You know, they weren't necessarily getting the the level financial support from, from local agencies to really make a difference. And they were having to fundraise. And so we have never seen this level of contributions from either the city, local taxpayers, to the state, to the feds, realizing that homelessness is a, is a crisis and we need to act with a sense of emergency. And that's what the council member has been saying. You know, he says if we declare it a state of emergency, we can, you know, skip some of our procedures through the city and get sites up faster than we've seen it before. He was saying that two years ago and no one was listening, but we finally did it because of COVID and we've seen what happens when you act with a sense of emergency, right? You're able to open shelters in six months instead of six years. You're able to open a tiny home village in three months instead of three years. And our organizations continue to step up. I mean, in Watts, we have Hopix and we have Salvation Army and the WLCAC that service them, as well as St. Joseph's and Lhasa. Here in Spa 8, you have Harper Interfaith, you have PATH, you have Volunteers of America, U.S. Vets, LASA, and Mental Health of America, and Department of Mental Health. So that's almost two dozen agencies that we work with to solve this crisis. On top of that, you have the church community, right? The faith-based groups uh, like Pastor Lisa over at um, in San Pedro, 
who opens her home and opens her heart to solutions. And then in City 15, unlike any other community or any other district in the city, we have a CD15 working group, which is made up of community leaders like the Amber Sheiks of the world who have said, you know what, if we're going to solve homelessness, how are we going to do that? And we were having just that conversation this morning. We were at our tiny home village here in uh, next to Harper College in the, in the sports complex. And that's what we were reminded again is, if we're going to say yes, what is that yes going to look like? And where is it going to be placed in our community? So we didn't make these decisions on our own. You know, we definitely acted with a sense of urgency, but we had community leaders at our side helping us make those choices so that when, if things go wrong or if we have hiccups, we're able to address them together. That's good. You're keeping it open and making mm-hmm. sure everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. At that location, I believe it's at Harbor College. Mm-hmm. Uh, across the street from our, that is a uh, city property. Correct? That is city property, correct. It's Reckon Park's parking lot. It's no more than 50 feet away from the college. We've been in touch with Dr. Luis Dorado, who is the, the college president, his entire team, as well as Harbor Teacher Prep Academy, Principal Ray Almond, who's just around the corner. We've been in touch with LA County Sheriff's Department, who is the security, uh, security for the college and the daycare. Uh, Reckon Parks and our office, we convene, convene on a regular basis, and uh, they've been part of the process of the, the construction of the site. And when it opens, it's going to be the same. That's amazing. Yeah. Is, is this a new project, or is this something that's been done before? It has been done before. This, I think, will be the third one, to, third or fourth one to open. The first one was in the North Hollywood area. Uh, Councilmember Paul Kerkorian opened the first one, and we went to visit it, actually, with the Sheriff's Department, as well as Dr. Dorado and a few of his admin. It will be nicely decorated, nicely landscaped, well-kept, and it's connected with services. So on-site private security, 24 hours a day. And then we will also have caseworkers, a clinician on site, as well as um, assistance to be able to help folks navigate back into the world. You know, I, I know the biggest problem with homelessness, or one of the biggest problems is that, yeah, people want to help. They want people to get off the streets and everything, mm-hmm. but they don't want them in their neighborhood. Yeah. But I, at that particular location seems to be a perfect location for something like that because you're kind of not you know getting away from the uh being mm-hmm. being neighbors but at the same time you've got a college there to help you too and it looks like there there's a big cooperation between Definitely. both the schools they've been supportive so this is part of parks and recs this is part of the council office mm-hmm. this is part of the la city college pr- yeah. system and hopefully th- this makes a big difference hopefully like, it does because um you know, there's there's thousands of homeless or um, housing and uh, or students facing housing insecurities throughout our college district in all of California, really around the world. What we did was open up up to 25 spaces of the tiny home village to students. Unfortunately, we've only been able to identify five that have said yes to come in, but we definitely want to continue to engage. I mean, we're working with the liaison at Harbor College, as well as the Harbor Interfaith Liaison at Harbor College to identify these students. They have over 100 students facing housing insecurities, but that can look very differently, right? It doesn't mean that they're an encampment on the street. They could be living in their car. Mm-hmm. They could be living in someone's garage that's not equipped to be housing. They could be living uh, couch surfing. So these are all housing insecurities, but um, 
maybe they're not quite ready to take on something like the tiny home village, right? So I think that we're just trying to meet everyone where they are and uh, and providing those housing options for them. But if, if and when this project succeeds, it'll set an example that you don't have to ship people away to you know an isolated area of the community uh just for them to be away and to have a second chance they should be able to have a second chance here next to us with us yeah i know you see, you see a lot of them uh, in the streets but there's a lot of them that live in their cars that are mm-hmm. that are moving around all the time how do you get in contact with these people so in council district 15 we have about 22 2257 homeless individuals i believe about half of them are vehicular homelessness and um when people call our office or when we're doing our community drives uh so i have you know ryan fernando and ashley and caitlin and bella who do community drives in the area and our staff is tasked with being able to identify these folks do they see an rv do they see a van do they see a vehicle with someone living in it? If they do, we um, we generate an LA Hop request. LA Hop is the county system by which you report people that are experiencing homelessness, and it automatically connects it to an outreach worker in our area, and they go out there. On top of that, we follow up with them. Whether we send St. Joseph's, Lhasa, or Harper Interfaith, we coordinate. And it takes a lot of coordination because you have to identify it, you have to report it, you have to follow up, and you have to assess it. And then you have to offer services if you have them available. I've worked a lot with teens and kids. Mm -hmm. They tend to vote with their feet. Mm-hmm. And it usually they'll come in when they hear from another person that, hey, this place is pretty cool, you mm-hmm. know. And I could see that happening with at these the, sites. the site yeah. over there in Harbors, Harbor Well, Harbor that happens a lot. We literally utilize the relationships that we have with some of these folks at the sites and say, hey, like, there's this one encampment. We have five beds available. Can you just come with me to the streets and tell them how cool it is here? They're like, yeah, for sure. Like, let's go get them. And that's how we were doing it at the Wilmington one, because when we were trying to clear the alley behind the municipal building, they just wouldn't, they would not accept it. We'd show them pictures. We'd take them on tours and they were like, no. And, you know, they make up reasons why. And everyone has a reason why they don't want to be removed from this place of comfort. But it's just that it's comfort. You know, whether it's safe to you, it's safe to them because they've been living there for that long. And so we started to get people that were saying yes to the bridge home and asking them to go back to the streets with us to bring more folks in. And it worked. It worked for some. It didn't for others. But we have to keep pushing. We have to keep outreaching to them. And we also need an ordinance in place, uh, which uh, the council member has been pushing for over a year now is 4118 and 5611 which is the ordinance that tells you where you can sleep and lie and where you excuse me where you cannot sleep lie and then also where you cannot store your stuff on public right-of-way and once we have that in place it'll give us the flexibility to now say if we have a vet a bed available you cannot be sleeping out here because that's also what residents want to see is enforcement and cleaner streets. And why say yes to solutions if they're still going to have the option of staying on the streets and doing their activities there? And and we very much feel that we're probably a, a very isolated voice on the city council because I think that Joe has probably been the one, you know, um, more vocal about this topic. But it's because he sees it. If I'm saying yes to solutions, I also want clean, safe and accessible streets for my, for my constituents. And he's right. If there's a bed available, you should not be sleeping on the street. You should not be sleeping in an alley and you should not be a public nuisance. You should come in and give it a try. 
And so that's why we're also pushing for a policy that will allow us to do that and enforce just that. So talking about public nuisances, if, if they uh, just are totally belligerent, do not want your mm -hmm. help, do not want to talk to you even, uh, but yet they're causing problems, the how ordinance. do you solve that? You know? Yeah, exactly. So for example, like uh, take Pedro, for example, right? Um, we have a few folks still left in the post office, um, around the post office. At one point, we had about 120 tents. Um, as of this morning, I believe there's 18 with the post office in Gulch. That means that we've been able to house over 100 people, but we also have two project room keys. We have a county shelter with 40 beds, and then we also have um, our shelter with uh, 100 beds. So you build solutions, and the council member saying, now I need an incentive in place in the books to be able to get them to come in. And so that means that if you're offered shelter and you continue to decline it and it's accessible and ready for you in that community, you should be able to take it. And if you don't, then you are deciding to deal with LAPD now because now you're a public nuisance and you shouldn't be. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, everybody wants to help. Yeah. But nobody wants to, to have to, you know. Face the consequences, I feel, sometimes. Like, this is a thing, you know. Um, some people say that we may be too rough or, or too strong on policy, but, but I don't think so. You know, we, we're not, this is not one or, or the other way of thinking. You know, I, I, I do work for government now, and I do believe in clean, safe, and accessible streets for everyone. But I also grew up very poor, and I also grew up from an immigrant family in South Central, living in one of the most you know impoverished communities in LA which is known as the jungles at the time but one thing my mom always taught me was just because you're poor doesn't mean you have to live in less than less than certain standards we are poor but we're still going to live a, a very dignified life and we did and and with with less amenities but we still did and we still swept our, our community and we still kept it clean and that's what people want and so if you are continuing to be a nuisance in the community, even after housing and opportunity is being offered to you time after time after time, then there's something else that's wrong here. And we're not going to be able to solve it on the streets. So let's bring you in and let's see what's going on. You got a good sized family, then, huh? Actually, it's just my mom and my dad and my sister and I. Well, now I have my brother-in-law and my two nephews. But, you know, we come from my parents are still working poor, so it's... We're getting by. So did you, you attended college? Yes, UCLA. What? UCLA? <laughs> oh. Well, I'm fighting ducks. Go so Bruins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing. You know, this is the country of opportunity, right? Where the immigrant, immigrant dream is possible. You know, the council member continues to say that. He comes from an immigrant family who immigrated here from Italy. My parents immigrated here from Mexico and El Salvador. And they, they wanted the same thing to have access to just education, to access to their home, live in a safe community and just get by. Whether you live in San Pedro, South LA, Boyle Heights or wherever, you should have access to that. And if people are working against that, then that needs to be addressed. So now I see one of the addressments is the setup you have at Harbor College. Absolutely. What is that actually titled? Uh, we're now calling it, we just renamed it to the Salvation Village. Salvation Village. Mm -hmm. Okay. When is going to be the grand opening for that? Or So uh, we're looking, it looks like it's going to be open at uh, the beginning of June. So just in a few weeks. So but right now, as of right now, you've, you've kind of had a soft opening because there is some people that are... Not yet. Um, what we're doing, we actually just did a tour this morning with a few members of the CD15 working group. We had about three community members that came out to see. 
But I'm looking forward to yeah. being there, and I hope you invite me to come. Of course. I mean, this is the thing. Like, we want everyone to be part of it, right? We're not asking everyone to see things the way that we see it. We know that not everyone's going to agree with us 100%. But if we can have a very good, respectful conversation about the issues, we open it. And, and we are always open to ideas, too. And our question to people is, if you don't like the way the city is solving homelessness, then how would you do it? And if you share that with us, we're all ears. I mean, we're not saying we're the experts at anything. This We just started solving homelessness, really, at this level just five years ago, right? So no one's an expert at anything. And cities around the nation are modeling after one another and experimenting with different things. And so if it works, you know, in Seattle, we're going to give it a try, just like safe camping. You know, they did their first sanctioned encampment, I think, two, three years ago, and they're still running it. So we're like, why not do it? San Francisco's just doing it. Then we had a couple cities do little tiny villages. We're like, let's consider it. And so as long as it's done with the proper measures and support systems in place to get people out of homelessness, we're, we're going to be willing and open to do it. So if someone uh, wanted to help mm-hmm. or some organization wanted to help, a church or another nonprofit, yeah. how would they get into contact with you? Yeah, I would say definitely reach out to our office. Our phone number is 310-732-4515. And my email address is gabriela.medina at lacity.org. And that's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-A dot M-E-D-I-N-A at lacity.org. Hey, Gabby, I want to thank you very, very much for being out here. Of course, thank you. It really makes me feel good that I see something is really, really happening. And if people want to see a full description of the things that we have going on, we have it on. Please follow the council member on social media. His handle is at Joe Buscaino, and that's J-O-E-B-U-S-C-A-I-N-O. And you can also uh, go to our website, www.la15th, that's 15th.org. Well, thank you very much again. Thank you for listening today. If you think you have a problem or an activity or an event that you would like to present on Harbor Speaks, please give me a, an email or call me. My email is harborspeakspodcast at gmail.com. That's H-A-B-O-R-S-P-E-A-K-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Or you can call me on 310 310- Thank you for listening. One thing. Sorry, guys. The website is www.la15th.com, not .org. Thank you so much. Oh, she fixed it. Okay, thank you very much.